0: We're going to continue in our series in the Gospel of John, and I'm going to invite Ashley right up to read our passage today, because um, it's, it's a longer passage, and um, I'm just going to start my sermon by exaggerating how short I'm going to be as I preach, but we all know that's very unlikely, so let's see. <laughs>
1: Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, and the soldiers twisted together a, th- a crown of thorns, and put it on his head, and crowned him with a, and clothed him with a purple robe, and they, they kept coming up and say saying, "Hail, King of the Jews," and, and were, slapping his face. Pilate went outside again and said to them, "Look, I'm bringing out." out to you to let you you know I find no ground for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe and said to them, "Here is the man. When, when the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, "Crucify, crucify." Pilate responded, "Take him and crucify him yourself." since I have no grounds for charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied to him, and according to the law, he ought to to die because he has made himself the son of God. Then Pilate heard his statement. He he was more, (laughs) sorry. He was more afraid than ever he went back into the headquarters and asked jesus where are you, where are you from jesus did not give him an answer so pilate said to him do not do you refuse to speak to me don't you know that i have authority to release and and release you and the authority to crucify you 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 would have no authority over me at me at all Jesus answered him if it had been given to you from from above this is why the one who handed me over to you is greater is the handed me over to to you has the greater sin From that moment Pilate kept praying to release him. Pilate kept trying to release him. But Jesus, sha- Jes- <laughs> I'm sorry. But the Jews shouted, "If y- you release th- this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone, anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar." When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat sat down on the judge's seat in the place called the Stone Pavement. It was the preparation day for Passover and it was about noon. And he told the Jews, here is your king. They shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, The the chief priests answered. Then he handed him over to, to be crucified. Then they took Jesus away. They l- then they led Jesus from Copernicus to the governor's uh, headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would have defiled and, and unable to eat the Passover. Um, so Pilate came out to them and said, "What charge do you bring against this man?" They they answered him, "If this man were weren't a criminal, he wouldn't ha- have handed him over to you." Pilate told them, "You you take him and judge him according to your law. It's it's not legal for us to put anyone to death." The Jews declared. They. They said this so that Jesus's words might be fulfilled, indicating that what what kind of death he was going to die. Then Pilate went back into the into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, "Are you the King of the Jews?" Jesus answered, "Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me?" Am I am not a I'm not a Jew," am am I pilot? a pilot," replied. "Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have what have you done? The kingdom is is not of this world," Jesus said. "It it if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so, so that I would, I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews, but as it, as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Are, you are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I am, a am a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify the truth Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is the truth? said Pilate. After he had s- said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him and have have a custom and a, that I release one prisoner to you at Passover. So do what you want want me to so do you want me to release to you the king of the jews they shouted back no this man but barabbas now barabbas was a revolutionary
0: this is the word of the lord amen amen thank you ashley um, for reading that long text with no heads up whatsoever. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I remember when me and my wife landed with our three young children in Rwanda. We were missionaries there for four over four years and um, one of, the re, one of the things we did was we were gonna live in the beginning out in the countryside. What was f- fun and, and, and extremely difficult about that, fun isn't really the right word, is that we found out that this was gonna be the plan when we got there. So we thought we were gonna live in the city, put our kids in the school, and just start doing the ministry and start learning the language. And they're like, no, nah, you're gonna homeschool. We had no homeschool supplies. <laughs> And we just got a taste of, like, hey, when you're on mission, like, you're not in charge of any aspect of your life. (laughs) Yeah, you're married and have kids, but it's like you're 18. (laughs) You're going to do what is needed to accomplish the mission. And we stayed in this house in Musanze. It was in this beautiful community right at the tip top of Rwanda, next to Congo and Tanzania, and it's a place where they have the volcanoes. They have nine huge volcanoes right in the middle of Africa, kind of like the whole continent is like being shoved together, and that's like right in the center, and these volcanoes are beautiful, right? It's one thing to see one volcano, but you look and you see these, like just the outline, right, of these beautiful volcanoes, and it's the only place in the world where the mountain gorillas live. They live on one of those nine mountains, nowhere else in the world. And um, it it was a stunning setting to be in, right? After we just had moved our whole family, and we were away from everything and everyone familiar, couldn't even buy, uh, uh, you know, they don't even have gallons of milk, right? You got to go to the cow, (laughs) bring your own pitcher, and negotiate in the local language. (laughs) Well, the house that we stayed at was the house of this man named George King. What a name. And um, he wasn't there, which is why we were there, right? The, The family was out. He was a doctor at the hospital. But every once in a while, he would come. He would come and, and when he came, there would be like a hundred people from the community that would be in the house and they would sit in every single spot. You can sit on the floor, on the porch, outside, wherever they could be. And when, when he would come, they were waiting to each have their time with him so that he could help solve their problems because he was the big man. <laughs> He was the man that that had the resources, the means, the wisdom, the connections, the knowledge, the expertise where people came with unresolved issues, they knew they could come to him and they could get some help, right? This is what's happening here, okay? This is what's happening here, the religious authorities They're dragging Jesus to Pilate's house. And they're coming early in the morning. They're coming before the sun gets up. And they're coming to to ask about what can we do with Jesus? We need your help. Because there was a law that they could not put him to death. That they needed the governor to intervene. They needed the governor's stamp of approval to put Jesus to death. And so they, they grab Jesus and they bring him to Pilate's house. And I, I need you to know that this text makes sense when we look at how first century governor's homes worked. A lot of times their day was done by noon, but they started extremely early. And I, I researched into this, they would have hundreds of cases, they would literally be solving issues and judging issues, hundreds of them a day, they'd be judging them less than a minute each. And, and things that were of lesser importance wouldn't even get to the governor, right? They would have a bunch of people in the household, in the you know what I mean, working for them, and they'd solve those smaller issues. But here comes an issue where a man's life is on the line. (laughs) And it goes right up to Pilate. And this irony is thick here, because Pilate was regarded as ruthless and violent. When you read the historic accounts, first of all, I know that not all of you know this, but like the people in the Bible the governors, the emperors, the the locations. We know stuff about them. There's other historic accounts. This is like real people, real places, and we can read the history of these folks. And when you look into Pilate's life, man, he was seen as a brutal ruler. And he was also seen as incompetent, and there'd be these revolts that would happen all the time. And so we need to understand that this is going on in the background. This is later in Pilate's life, and he's trying to stop and squash the people from just, like, getting violent. And then he has to kill a whole lot of people and put them down because there's been a history of the folks just being wild and trying to usurp the government understandably right because the, the the now the jewish people are there in their homeland and the romans came and they just like built coliseums and started doing pagan worship and started doing their thing and pushing their their whole value system and the jewish people the people of god were like yo this is our land <laughs> this is our place god promised this place to us but at this point in history, they were not free. They were under the thumb of Rome. But the irony is, is that though Pilate is shown as being incompetent, being ruthless, being brutal, in every gospel account, Pilate is being shown as the one who doesn't have the real power. <laughs> He doesn't have the real power. This is a historic account. I want you to hear this. This is a historic reality. This account of Jesus' rest lines up in dozens of ways with everything we know about the first century. And this is really important but it's also immediate. This story is deep and powerful spiritual truth for each of us in this room, November 2022. So it's both. This is an important thing that happened 2,000 years ago. This is an important thing that's bigger than your life, bigger than your problems, bigger than the opportunities that are coming up for you, right? This, these events have shaped all of history. The things that we're reading here have literally shaped all of history. And yet at the same time, it's for you in a deeply personal way. And I want to talk about this. It's a historic reality. We know from reading history that only the governor had the power of life and death. And and we know that that every detail how they ruled, how the Jews wouldn't come, right? There's these little details. Like, they go to the governor's house, but the Jews wouldn't enter into the house. Because if they entered into the house, they'd become ceremonially unclean. And so we know from reading letters that, like, they ruled the Jews, but they could only go so far. (laughs) I wish that would be true of us. you know what I mean? There was just lines you don't cross. And so even though they were there having building projects and doing their thing, right, they knew like, okay, we don't want everyone to fight us <laughs> and go nuts. And so um, we're going to accommodate their culture. And that's how the Romans ruled everywhere, Right. And so they knew, like, okay, so the governor and the people that would come make judgments, they come out to the porch. They come out, and they meet the Jews halfway. These Gospels are just written in a different way. And this is what I want you to take in and receive tonight, that they were written, that John writes this passage that our sister just read for us, he writes this as an old man in Ephesus, but he's writing about things that happened when he was a teenage boy, when he saw these things with his own eyes. Now, there is almost nothing more powerful than a story you know it gives people meaning identity the gospels are written very different the gospel accounts of Jesus are not written like this in a land far away <laughs> in a time long long ago <laughs> the gospels are written like this Right? In the time when Herod <laughs> was prefect and Caesar Augustus was the emperor. The gospels are written in such a way that it's unnerving and unsettling. It's this deep spiritual truth, and yet it talks about all these people, all these rulers, all these places. And I think you should know about this, you should look this up, that archeology span has in the last several decades found so many of the places That back in the day, people would read these stories and just say, maybe they're just made up places where a story happened about Jesus. Until we dig up and find (laughs) these places, these parts of the city, these little towns, right? And we keep finding them. There is a rise in things like Norse paganism right here in this town. And it taps into these deep needs for power, identity, belonging, right? I mean, and I don't say this as somebody who like can look at it from the outside. I I want you to know that there were my days I was seeking, I was dabbling and dipping into Druidism, into the occult, into all kinds of stuff because I was looking for what every single person on earth is looking for, right? Power, identity, some sort of like sense of who I am. And there's a power in story, but the difference is is that in the christian story there's this claim and it's unnerving and it's unusual and it's not like the stories of norse paganism right where it's like oh we're just in this endless cycle of birth and rebirth and you've got the tree of life and all this stuff but the but the thing that we see in the gospels is we see that god breaks in to history into our reality and the claims are is that they really was a man named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago who really had a crown of thorns pressed into his brow. His blood came down his face to the point where he couldn't see out his eyes, where he couldn't breathe, where they nailed him in the hands and feet, where he was hung up on the cross, where he died for you and me. I mean, I remember when we were serving in Africa, there would be lots of nomadic tribes, and they would have these stories. They were like, okay, the creator made us first, and then everybody else, and every single cow on earth belongs to us. And so they had a story that gave them an identity of who they were, right? That was deep in their soul. And this is what we always did and what our ancestors always did. And it also helped them justify stealing cattle from other tribes, right? They had a divine right to all this stuff. And people have been doing this for thousands of years. I got a divine right to this land. I got a divine right to do X, Y, and Z, no matter who it hurts, what happens. But here's what I need you to hear. Jesus says, "My kingdom is not out of this world. <laughs> it is both historic and as real and as tangible as the pew you're sitting on, as the place you're sitting wherever you are in the car at home. but it is also a spiritual reality that is unbelievably and unimaginably deep and encouraging. My old friend would say, we talk about like, like false. Preachers, false prophets, false religions, right? He'd always say the appeal there is because, you know, they're not firing all blanks. You know, it's like a, it's like a gun, and there's some blanks in there, the, the movie-type stuff that just makes a lot of noise and has some smoke, but every once in a while, there's a live ammo in there. And so everybody that's out there speaking these stories, appealing to people's deep needs. Yeah, there's some part of the truth that they're grabbing hold of, and that's why it's effective and powerful. But the claims of Christianity and the claims of Jesus are just unnerving and radically deeper and different. Do you hear what I'm saying? This book is just more dangerous than a gun with one live (laughs) shot and a bunch of blanks. It's a story, but it's not just a story. It happened. Every single thing that happens in the Gospels happened in a real place with real people at a real time. right? And it's this movement that was spurred on from Jesus, and his real life lived, the places he really went and spoke, and then how he really died, and then how he really rose from the dead, and his followers that spent three years with him, and then they were really filled with his spirit, right? And they went off, and they preached this message They went around and told people the stories of how Jesus was arrested. They told the stories of the places he was and what he did and what he said. And it's just amazing. (laughs) It's amazing that here now we hear these things. We can have them read for us and we can think about them and they're still changing lives. And this group of people that were following Jesus, amen, this group of people that were following Jesus, they turned over the entire known world in a couple centuries, and they did it without an army, they did it without political po- power, and they were from the bottom of society up. You need to understand that every other movement didn't work like that. There are movements, right, that that, that, that like reshaped history, that like, took huge parts of the human population in a couple generations. But every single one of them came under the power of the sword and ruthless men like Pilate. But Christianity spread through the message of a man who was brought, arrested, and beat. And he didn't respond in anger. He just told them, you say I'm a king? <laughs> I love Jesus's deep humility combined with swag do you hear what i'm saying like jesus is like it's like this unnerving confidence they come up to him he doesn't get loud He doesn't demand his rights. He doesn't talk about, y'all don't even know. I could send angels down here and change this whole situation. He doesn't say, yo, I got a bunch of guys that seen me raise the dead, heal the sick, bring sight to the blind, and guess what? I can just say something. They'll be here, and they'll take care of this situation. I fed 5,000 men on the side of the hill. You don't think Jesus could have, like, said something and stopped this crucifixion? He could have. That's the point. He went on purpose. I preached this a couple weeks ago. Jesus was not an unwilling sacrifice. Do you get this? God the Father wasn't this God that was impossible to please, and so Jesus had to be the sacrifice, and it was the only way that you could be loved by God. No, all of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, looked at you, saw your sin, saw your need to be rescued, came up with a plan, and each one did their part. They, all of God for all of you and all of your mess, loved you, and broke into history, and made a plan to save your soul. You know, it's amazing that not long after John writes this account as the bishop of Ephesus, he would be exiled to the island of Patmos. And can we just appreciate this for a second? Can we grasp this for a second? All of John's friends that he traveled with, he saw Jesus do these unbelievable things with. Every single one of them but him had been killed. Like, can you imagine? They all died violent deaths. And the one guy who wasn't killed killed himself because he betrayed the Lord. Like, can you imagine what John went through? But these men, they died for what they saw and for what they were testifying. And they saw Jesus do miraculous things with their own eyes they saw him go on a mock trial peter one of his closest followers we heard last week we saw how peter denied jesus you imagine that being your last interaction with jesus before he rose from the dead the last thing that happened before Jesus died, was you denying him. After he took you off the boat, and he said, come follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. And he even helped you at one point walk on the freaking water, right? And and, and like just do these amazing things. And then the last, so I need you to know that in all the ways that you failed God, Jesus loves you like he loved Peter. I mean, the last thing that Peter ever did with Jesus was deny him. And the risen Jesus still comes and accepts him. (laughs) And he doesn't just accept him. This is what's so great about this. Jesus doesn't just say, okay, well, you repented but I don't trust you anymore. You need to go through this program, this 12 step program to get everything back in order. No, Jesus asked them, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me three times? And he says, feed my sheep. Jesus gives Peter a job. Do you understand this? That Jesus loves you so much that even in the face of your biggest failures, your last failure, that Jesus is calling you not just to come to church and like be a Christian. Yeah, he's calling you to do that. He's calling you to pray. He's calling you to be at church. He's calling you to repent of your sins. You can't be like going around, you know, sleeping with men, sleeping with women, getting high, doing all the stuff that you might have done before. And you can't can't be oblivious either. You know what I mean? Just living for a comfortable, clean, sanitized life without God. No. God's plan for you is not just for you to be sober or for you to just be clean and to use clean language and be proper and have nice things. God has a purpose for you. Do you hear what I'm saying? He looks at Peter with, with like, Calloused hands, right, who can pull in the like 200 and whatever fish from the the water, right, in the net. And he gives them a job because he knows that Peter can do it. And I want you to know that God trusts you. He's given you jobs. He has words for you to say. He has acts of love for you to do. Lord. We see John remembering all these things. He remembers Barabbas, the revolutionary, who was chosen over the innocent Son of God. The murderous, riotous dude who actually should have died, is set free. and the innocent lamb of God, is sacrificed and put on the cross. Now, I know that this is a strange time to be talking about the cross. It's about to be Christmas, right? We've been in the series of John, it's just how it worked out. And we're gonna be talking all the way through Christmas time about the death and resurrection of Jesus. But it is appropriate in that traditional whatever sense because of this. See, we love to meditate on the fact that God came from the the right hand of God, God the Son, right? And came as a helpless, innocent baby into this sin-sick world He was born into poverty. Like, do you know that? Sometimes we don't know that. Jesus was poor. I don't know, I mean, I I remember having kids and uh, spending all day at WIC, getting like all the the formula, you know what I mean? Like taking days off work to get the thing, like so so goofy, right? Well, Jesus' mom, right? She comes and brings a sacrifice. She doesn't bring the goat. Jesus, they bring birds, man. That's all they had to sacrifice. There is God's holy family, right? That's when they look at it, like the the, the adopted father, Joseph, Mary, Jesus. Dude, they were poor. And there was nothing wrong with that. They did not fail. Don't let anybody tell you that struggling financially is a sign that you lack faith and that automatically you're in sin. There were times where Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. And we got some preachers and some Christians out here that would look down on him and judge him and be like, don't you know that you're the child of the king? Well, you know who said that? Satan in the desert (laughs) when he tried to tempt Jesus. Sometimes we just don't have. Praise God if you haven't experienced that. And we're not mad at that. But sometimes we go through times, some of us, where we just don't have it, and we don't have it to pay the light bill, we don't have it to get the food we want, and we're struggling, we get into debt. Sometimes all that happens because we made a bunch of bad decisions. We can be honest about that, too. And God wants to do some work in our souls. But you can't just look at a situation and then assume. People get sick, and they can't work, and things happen outside of their control, and then all of a sudden they're stuck, right? and in a struggle and it's not always their fault you know the reason that i think that this actually is appropriate this time of year is because we think so much about that holy baby that was born in poverty into this dirty world right you know that the, you you know that like in nazareth in these little uphill towns they didn't have concrete floors. They had dirt floors. I've slept in houses in Africa with dirt floors. I, I've slept where you see the rats in the corner. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I have a, some idea of the kind of life, right, that Jesus would have seen, or the things he would have seen. And, it, it, and it's just, this is what I'm saying, is that Jesus lived his entire life, and now he's a grown, capable man, And he's as innocent as he was, as a helpless baby. And that's the difference. Jesus stayed as innocent as he could be. And he was tempted in every way and yet without sin. And he never looked at someone the wrong way. He was always full of the Spirit full of patience, peace, kindness, joy, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, he's on trial, and it's a total lie. And there's all these accusations, and he's still demonstrating the same Jesus what an example to us it's always the same jesus it's the same jesus when he gets slapped by the high priest it's the same jesus when they press the crown of thorns it's the same jesus when they pull out his beard it's the same jesus when he doesn't know where he's going to spend the night and sleep but he's just going to trust in the goodness of his father it's always the same jesus We haven't always been the same person, right? Some days we're faithful, other days we're faithless. That's why we needed Jesus to come. We are Barabbas, we are not Jesus. We are the ones who should have been put up on that cross. And in an act of divine love, the tables are turned. And instead of us going up on that cross, Jesus goes up on that cross for us. Now, the Bible talks about how we can get to the point where we don't have shame, where we forget how to blush. And I know, I know, you know, even from my own soul's experience and my own times where I've been like just just giving myself to selfish things, right, and not caring how it affects anybody else, I just know this. I know this from walking with folks. I know when the Bible says that that's a possibility. Your conscience, it talks about, can be seared as with an iron. You forget how to blush. And you hear these words about, like, you deserve death, and you're like, no, I don't deserve death. That don't sound right. And I want you to know that before the corrupt judge of Pilate, you might not deserve death But before the consuming fire that is God, whether you feel it in your soul or are incapable of doing that because you have just kind of dulled your moral sensibility, watching too much junk, right? Hanging around with people that just talk recklessly and just having your mind and your heart so darkened by the world that you no longer can relate to this and you don't feel shame or guilt. I know this because we see this, right? I am what I am, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. Only God can judge me. What a goofy thing to say. Because he will judge us. He's utterly holy. And whether you feel this in your soul or not, you are Barabbas. And this is the gospel. If you place your trust in Jesus, even if you're a mess and you're like, God, I, I, I need you to, like, like, my moral compass is, like, filled with, like, dirty water and I can't see the way north, <laughs> I need you to know that God even accepts you there's a spot for even you and you can be saved and you can come and he will renew your thoughts he will rewire your brain he will restore your spirit he will cause you to be able to blush again the way you think and act and speak and dress and you don't care how people think God will change all of that <laughs> he will make us new But we have to come with him. We have to make that step to Jesus. And that's what I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you as we sing this last song, in your soul, in your heart, to come to him. Maybe you're coming back to him. It's time. Maybe you're coming to him in a new way. Guys, it's time to come to Jesus. Amen? And I'm going to ask Sister Esther to just be up front to pray for anybody who would like to be restored or who would like to dedicate their lives in a new way to Jesus. Come up and be prayed for, amen? Don't wait. If for some reason you don't come up now, grab me, talk to me, call me, text me. I mean, just do what you gotta do. God wants you back, amen?